you have your Bibles, please open up to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm preaching Proverbs 2 next week. Um, Jared's preaching this week, and we're in Proverbs chapter 1, starting with verse 8, and we're going to be going through the end of the chapter. And so follow along with me as I read. This is our sermon passage this morning. Proverbs 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I, will also, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill, their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Thanks, John. Thanks for reading Proverbs 1. Um, had me nervous there for a second that I was about to preach a very different sermon than what I thought I was. So um, I'm ready to preach Proverbs 1, um, chapter or verses 8 through 33. So that's, yeah, that's where we are this week. Um, we're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs together, our new study in the book of Proverbs. Really excited to um, get into the meat of this book together. John uh, started us off with a, a great introduction to the book of Proverbs last week in the first seven verses. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet, really encourage you to go back and do that. It'll set up kind of the context of this book and, and who wrote it and who he wrote it to and the purpose of the book and, and set up really well um, some of the concepts and things that we're going to be looking at as we go through this book. And so if you missed that last week, um, go back and, and listen to that. It'll help you as we get into the rest of the book of Proverbs together um, as we go forward. But let me, let me start off this morning by asking you a question, ask you to think about this for just a second. Um, who 
have you been listening to this week? Just think about for a second some of the different voices that have been speaking into your life and that you've been listening to throughout the week. So maybe some of those are some of the people that are right around you and closest to you, um, like your family, friends, coworkers, um, maybe, maybe if you have any mentors in your life. Um, maybe some of the people that you've been listening to um, are people that you know and listen to kind of from a distance. So people through social media, through podcasts, um, through the news or TV shows or, or books or websites or, or things like that. Hopefully you've spent at least some time um, this week listening to God through his word. Um, and you probably, you might not think of this one, but you probably listen to yourself more than you realize as well. Um, Paul Tripp says that no one has more influence on you than you do because no one talks to you more than you do. Um, We're constantly talking to ourselves and listening to ourselves. And so the reality is, and there's more, like we could keep going. The the reality is we live in a world where we're, we're being constantly bombarded by voices calling for our attention. Um, It's just unavoidable in the world that we live in. The the question isn't whether we're going to listen to anyone. It's it's whether we'll be intentional about who we're listening to. Because if you aren't intentional, the world around you is going to choose for you who you're going to listen to. And, And the reason that this matters is that who we listen to shapes us, right? So, so think about that for a second. Like, not just who are you listening to, but who has the most influence in your life? Whose words are shaping your identity? Who, whose words are shaping how you see yourself, how you see the world around you, how you live day by day? Like, who are you listening to in that way? Do, do you even know? Like, are you intentionally choosing to listen to certain voices and to not listen to other voices? Or, or are, you be sh- are you being shaped by voices that you don't even realize that you're listening to? That, that's the question we're gonna be confronted with in our passage this morning. Like, who will you listen to? Will you intentionally listen to and intentionally not listen to um, certain voices in a way that shapes your identity and that shapes your life? Because there are consequences to who we listen to in that way. And so in our passage this morning, we're gonna see and and hear three voices that are calling out for our attention. And and more than just for our attention, they're calling out for our response. They don't just want us to listen, they want us to follow them. But these voices that we're gonna hear are calling us down two very different paths. And so we, we talked about this briefly last week and we're gonna see it throughout the book of Proverbs as we go. Proverbs is going to make the case that there are basically two paths that you can choose between in this life. There's the path of wisdom and there's the path of folly. And if you remember, John defined wisdom for us last week, um, and this is going to be a really important definition to keep in mind as we go through this book, because if we're picturing something else in our minds as we go through Proverbs, like if we think that wisdom is something less or something more than this, we're going to come away trying to do something really different or get something really different from what the book of Proverbs is actually intending and offering us. And so it's going to be really important to remember as we go that wisdom is skill. That's the word that John used last week, it's skill. um, Specifically in the context of Proverbs here, it's, it's the skill 
um, of living well or living rightly in God's world under God's authority. Like that's, that's what wisdom is. It's the skill of living well or living rightly in God's world under God's authority. And so that's why we saw last week that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the first step toward true wisdom. True wisdom begins with seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves for who we are, and then trembling appropriately before him. Like we have to see that God is the creator of all things, that he's sovereign over all things, including us. He rules over all things. Like we have to, we have to see that. All things belong to him. He rules over it all. And then we have to see ourselves as living under that authority, as living in the world that he created, living under his authority. And, and that has to be the starting point if we're going to be able to live rightly, to live in this world with true skill and true wisdom. And so that means that ultimately wisdom is a worship issue. Like if you begin with worship of God, you can grow in wisdom as you learn how to live well in his world. So that's the first path. It's the path of wisdom. The path of wisdom begins with the worship of God. It leads to righteousness and it ultimately ends in life both a life that's lived well here in God's world under God's authority and then ultimately eternal life. Not as a result, we'll see, of living a wise life. You don't earn this life by living a wise life, but, but because that life of wisdom and righteousness was the fruit of a heart that has been transformed by God. So that's the one path. On the other hand is the path of folly, the path of folly is, is the exact opposite. It begins with self-worship, which is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. It begins with a high view of myself and a low view of God, which leads to living like this world revolves around me and is all about me. And so if, if you live that way, then that path is going to lead to wickedness and to evil, and ultimately it's going to end in death both physical suffering and death as the natural consequence of the foolish choices that we made along that path, but ultimately eternal death because a foolish life is the fruit of a heart that worships self rather than God. And so those are the two paths. The, the problem is that the path of folly isn't necessarily marked that way. Um, you're not going to find road signs along the, along the way that say, now entering the path of folly um, or something like that. It, it's not that clearly marked. And so we need to be equipped to recognize the path of folly so that we can avoid it. And so that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It, it's teaching and equipping us to recognize the path of wisdom and the path of folly in countless everyday real life situations so that we can avoid the path of folly and walk in the path of wisdom day by day. So, so if the first step toward wisdom in that sense is the fear of the Lord, then another key factor, um, and this is where the author of Proverbs goes next, the, another key factor in which path you will choose and which path you'll end up on is who you listen to. So in our passage this morning, we're going to hear three voices calling us either to the path of wisdom or the path of folly. And so you can see them listed on your handout there, kind of the main bullet points um, that we'll work our way through. So if the question is, who will you listen to? The three voices that we're going to see and the question related to each of them is, will you listen to the instruction of wise parents? Will you, will you listen to the temptation of sinners? And will you listen to the call of wisdom? So those are the three voices that are calling for our attention in this passage. And as we listen to these three voices, 
were intended to hear a warning and a plea. Like this, this chapter is, you just hear the warning all the way through it. So the warning is this. It's, it, here's what will happen if you listen to the wrong people and follow them down the wrong path. Like it, it will destroy you. Like that's what we're going to see this morning. There are serious, deadly consequences for listening to the wrong voices and following them down the wrong path. And then the plea in this passage then is, listen to wisdom and instruction. Like, don't be a fool who rejects and ignores wisdom. So, so that's my prayer for us this morning, is that through these three voices, we would hear that warning and that plea, and we would intentionally choose to listen to the voice of wisdom and follow her down the path of wisdom. And so the first question, you can see this on your handout here, the first question then is, will you listen to the instruction of wise parents? Um, verses 8 and 9 here. It's the first voice that we hear um, in verse 8. So look there with me real quick. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So specifically, the, the first voice that we hear here is a, is a father speaking to his son. And he's calling his son to hear his instruction. That's the word that he uses there. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So he's calling his son to listen. Like, and, and we know this. Like, when I'm telling my kids to listen to me or ask them if they're listening to me, I'm not just asking if they can hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, right? Like, I, I want them to respond. I want them to act in light of what I'm saying. I, I want them to, to listen to process whatever it is I'm telling them or whatever it is I'm telling them to do, and then I want them to respond appropriately to what I said. Like, that's what's going on here. The, the father isn't just wanting his son to, to hear the words that he's speaking. He wants him to listen and to respond and to act in light of what he's saying. And, and it's the same idea there with that second kind of parallel phrase there about forsaking not your mother's teaching. He's not just saying, don't forget it. He's saying, Keep doing it. Like that, that's what it means to, to not forsake it is to keep doing it, to listen, to act, and then to keep doing that. Um, that's what he's calling his son to do. And the father isn't speaking alone here. Like he mentions his wife as well. So the call here isn't just for the son to listen only to his father, but to both his father and his mother. And, and so the implication in that is that both of them are working together, instructing their son together. And what he's hearing from both his father and his mother is consistent. It's the same message. It's the same instruction. So the word instruction there, uh, we heard that a couple times last week in verse 2 and verse 7, um, earlier in chapter 1 here. That the word instruction maybe doesn't carry quite the full picture behind the word here. Some other translations you might have used, they would use the word discipline, um, or even the word correction or warning like the idea is that this is a lesson being taught to warn against a moral failing. And, and it's not just like, hey, son, be careful about this. There's a threat of consequences or punishment if the instructions aren't followed. Like It's a warning. It's, it's trying to warn you from going down a certain path and doing a certain thing. The word teaching there, it's actually, it's, this is a word you probably have heard before. It's the word Torah. It's, it's the name that's often used for the books of Moses containing the law and the instructions for Israel for how to live in obedience to God. So in this context, it's probably meaning something more than just those books. Like it, it, it just the word just means instruction. It just means like kind of an instruction manual. 
And so probably it's, it's talking about more than just the books of Moses. It's talking about being in, taught the instructions and principles for how to live life well. And so you have this picture here then of a father and mother working together to teach their son how to live well, how to, how to live rightly in this world, and then to warn him of the consequences of what will happen if he doesn't follow their instruction, and even threatening punishment if he doesn't follow their instruction. <clears throat> and then here's the motivation that they give for listening to their instruction, verse 9. Um, you can see this on your handout here. It says, they're teaching beautifies and honors. That's what we're going to see here in verse 9. Um, look at this with me. Verse 9, 4, so here's the reason. Here's why you should listen. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So the they here is the parent's teaching and, and instruction. That's, that's the they. That's the graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Verse 9 here is saying that the instruction and teaching of the parents are a graceful garland for your head. And, and so the picture there um, is of, of this laurel wreath that would be placed on the head of someone who won a competition. You've probably seen pictures of this or, or like statues maybe where someone important is wearing a wreath like a crown. That's, that's the picture here. And so that wreath, it's a symbol of honor. It's a symbol of affirmation. Um, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's honoring the person that's wearing it. The word graceful there that describes this could also be translated as attractive. Like it, it's more than just a symbol of honor. It's attractive, it's beautiful. And, and that's the picture with the pendants for your neck as well. It's like jewelry that beautifies the person wearing it. And so the, the picture here then is that the instruction of wise parents is this wreath for your head, this garland for your head and pendants for your neck, meaning that if the son will put them on, if he'll put on the instruction and teaching of his parents, they'll beautify and honor him. So, I mean, there, there's a whole lot that we could get into here about listening to wise parents and, and even listening to those who function as wise parents in your life. Hopefully, we'll be able to come back to that at some point when we focus on what the Proverbs teaches about parenting. Um, but the, the specific point for this morning, within the context of this passage, this, the instruction and teaching that they're saying for their son to listen to is what's coming in the verses that we're going to look at next so the, the specific warning and instruction that the son is being called to listen to is in verses 10 to 19. And that's going to be a pattern that's repeated all through these first several chapters of Proverbs here. The father is going to call the son to listen, and then he's going to give a specific instruction for the son to listen to. So that's the main takeaway from these verses here is to listen to the instruction that's to come in the following verses because it will beautify and honor you. And so in that sense, we're all supposed to see ourselves as the son and to listen to the instruction and teaching of these wise parents in these verses here. And so that's what we're going to see next here. What's the instruction and warning then that the son and that we are being called to listen to? That's the next question on your handout. Um, you can see that next here. Will you listen to the temptation of sinners? It's the next voice that we hear, and this is the instruction that the father and the parents together are calling their son to listen to. So we see that here starting in verse 10. And we're actually going to see the same warning twice. First, we see kind of a short version of it in verse 10. And then the same warning is repeated and unpacked in verses 11 through 15. So the short version then here in verse 10 doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. It's pretty straightforward. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
Like if sinners entice you, if a person who's characterized by a lifestyle of habitual sin tries to tempt you into joining them in their sin, don't consent. Don't do it. Don't go along with them. Just say no. Like watch out for people like that and be ready to respond rightly when the temptation comes. So that's the basic instruction here. But then the father is going to flesh out kind of this imaginary scenario then in verses 11 to 15. And um, this is where we actually hear the second voice calling for our attention here. So read verse 11 through 15 with me here. It says, if they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So it's a little longer and wordier here, so it's, it's maybe not as evident to see, but do you see how it's the same instruction as verse 10? So verse 10 says, my son, if sinners entice you, and then here, verse 10, it says, if they say. So if these sinners from verse 10 entice you by saying something like this, and then you've got the quote that runs from 11 through the end of verse 14 there, if, if sinners say something like this to you, then verse 15, don't consent, don't walk in the way with them, hold back your foot from their paths. So, so this is the second voice calling out for our attention here. And at first, I think our reaction to this can be kind of to minimize the appeal of this voice. You know, the Father's saying, if sinners entice you, don't consent. But then we hear this, and, and it, I think our initial reaction can be kind of to minimize the appeal of this voice because of how blunt and, and extreme um, the, this call is. Like, hopefully it's not too hard to say no to someone saying, hey, let's go murder someone and steal all their stuff. Like, hopefully that's not too hard to say no to. But the reality is that, that most of the temptations that we face in life are not going to be spelled out as clearly as this so that we can say, well, that's clearly wicked and evil. No thanks, don't think I'm going to do that. Um, it'd be nice if it was that easy, but it, it's not. The voice calling us to sin really will be enticing. You can see that on your handout here. This is the first point underneath um, this question here. Their offer is enticing. Like, we need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared for their, their offering to be enticing. And, and that's exactly what the father's doing here. He, he's preparing his son so that he won't be surprised and caught off guard when he hears this voice in real life. He's spelling it out this clearly here so that his son can see through the temptation and recognize it for what it is. It, it's, like a, it's like a pilot or an astronaut training in a simulator where they get all kinds of these potentially dangerous situations thrown at them, but they're in a safe environment, right? So that they can experience those dangerous situations. They can see them for what they are. They can be trained how to respond to them so that when they come up in real life, they're prepared, like they've seen it before. They're not caught off guard or pulled into a dangerous situation that they could have avoided. They, they know exactly what's happening and they know exactly what to do. So what are some of the ways then, if we look at this and kind of unpack this a little bit, what are some of the ways that these sinners are trying to entice this son that we can learn from so that we'll be prepared to recognize this voice when we hear it in real life? So here, here's just a few. Think about what they're offering here. First, they're offering community and belonging. Like, come be part of our group. 
You can be one of us. We want you. Like, that's an enticing offer, right? It feels really good to feel wanted and to feel like you belong. It's really interesting to talk to people that have come from a background of habitual involvement in sin. Like, this is one of the things that's often a huge factor in, in what drew them in in the first place or that kept them in over the long run. Like, they were part of a community they had never experienced anywhere else before. They're part of a family. They belonged in a way that they'd never felt before. And, like, that feels really good. It draws you in and it keeps you in. Like, the offer of community and belonging can be really enticing. They're also, they're, they're offering power and superiority. Like, it's a, it's a pretty violent version here in this scenario, but, but we know the draw of the, the temptation to power and, and superiority, right? To, to see ourselves and prove ourselves stronger and better than someone else. Like, to see ourselves as above the rules, to see ourselves um, as above other people, to see them as below us, to, to say things and to do things that build us up, put other people down, like that can be a really enticing offer as well. They're, all, they're also a third. They're offering profit and prosperity. I mean, like this, this is the ultimate get rich scheme, right? They're gonna fill their houses with plunder and they'll share it all with you. Again, it, it's probably easy to say no to something this extreme, but it can be so tempting to push boundaries that we wouldn't normally push if we think that we can gain something from it, especially if it's not gonna cost us anything or if we can convince ourselves that it's not gonna cost us anything. Verse 19 identifies that as the root of this whole temptation here, greed for unjust gain. Like that's what's driving these sinners to lie and wait for blood, to ambush the innocent. Like they're planning murder and theft because they're driven by greed for unjust gain. They're, they're driven by the desire for profit and prosperity. What, what makes it unjust is how they go about it, though. It, it's unjust because they're taking what doesn't belong to them, they're taking it by violence, and they're not earning it through honest work. They're driven by their own personal gain at the expense of anyone and everyone else. So you can probably identify other ways here that the voice of sin tries to entice us as well. The point is just, like, if we're too quick to dismiss this and not deal with just how enticing the voice of temptation will, will be and can be, we'll be caught off guard when it comes. We won't be ready to say no to it. We'll be sucked in and drawn in. So we need to be trained to see through the voice of temptation, to see it for what it really is, so that no matter how much more subtle the temptation is in real life, we'll, we'll be able to recognize that voice. We've heard it before. We know what's happening. We know how to respond. So we, we need to listen <clears throat> to this warning here. Don't listen. Don't listen to that voice. Don't follow down their path because you can see this next on your handout. Here's why uh, their path is the path of folly that ends in death. You can see that on your handout there. <clears throat> the end of their path is death. Like that's what we see starting there in verse 16. So here's, here's why the father's telling his son not to listen to this voice, not to follow them down their path. Verse 16, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. 
it takes away the life of its possessors. So verse 16 here is, is interesting. On first reading, it kind of just sounds like a recap of the plan that these sinners laid out back in verse 11. So it sounds like the father's saying that the reason to not follow them is because they're going to do something wrong. But the, the word there in verse 16 for evil, it could mean either the evil actions that they're planning to run and carry out, or it could mean the evil end that awaits them. And then the blood that they're making haste to shed could be the blood of their intended victim, or the way it's worded, it could also be their own blood. And so when you take that verse together with, with verse 18, it seems like we're supposed to hear both meanings in verse 16. It's intentionally vague. It's, it's playing off of those two words. Like they think they're running to carry out their evil plan, and they think they're making haste to shed the blood of the innocent victim that they're targeting, but it turns out that they're actually running right into the evil end that was waiting for them. And they're making haste to the shedding of their own blood. Like verse 18 makes that even more clear. It uses the exact same words that the sinners used back in verse 11. They're plotting to lie and wait for blood and set an ambush for the innocent. But it turns out that they're lying and wait for their own blood. And the ambush that they set backfires and they're the ones who caught in it and lose their own lives. And then verse 19 then gives us the moral of the story. Like, this is what happens. This is what everyone who goes down this path can expect. It, it's a perfect reversal of what the intentions of the sinners were. They were greedy for unjust gain. They were plotting to murder and to steal to satisfy their greed, but instead it turns on them. It takes from them. It robs them and not just of their money or possessions, like it, it takes everything from them. It takes their life. Like that's the warning here. This, this is the reason to not listen to this voice. Like it may sound enticing. Sin is going to sound enticing, but its end is death. It may not come to you offering you the chance to murder someone and steal their stuff as clearly as it does here, but it will come to you offering you some of these exact same things, community and belonging, power and superiority, profit and prosperity, or enticing you in some other way. And so the question is, when that voice comes, when it calls to you, will you listen to that voice? Will you listen to the temptation of sinners? That's the question here. And going back to the question that I asked at the beginning, um, who are you listening to throughout the week? Like, are you surrounding yourself with these kinds of voices, either intentionally or unintentionally? Or are you, are you guarding yourself from these kinds of voices. Like that might be something you really need to think about if you find yourself struggling to say no to the enticement of sinners. Third voice that we're here, we see in the rest of the passage here this morning, you can see this on your handout. Will you listen to the call of wisdom? Will you listen to the call of wisdom? Um, look at verse 20 with me. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So this is the third voice that we hear in the passage. It's, it's the voice of wisdom personified to hear in this passage as a woman. And so this is an important character. We'll be seeing her often over the next several weeks. But here, the first time that she pops up, we're really not told a whole lot about her. We just, we just hear her start speaking. And, and she's not just speaking, like she's yelling. She's crying aloud in the street. She's raising her voice in the market. She's crying out at the head of the noisy streets. 
Like, she's not just timidly standing in the corner like, hey, guys, you know, like, like no, like, you, you can hear her urgency in these verses. Like, she's running all over the place, all over the city to the busiest, most crowded places so that she can be heard by as many people as possible. And she's yelling at the top of her lungs to get their attention. And so what, what she's saying, like, why is she so urgent? Why is she so insistent that they listen? Look at verse 22 here. We'll see the beginning of her message. Verse 22, how long, this is what she's saying, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So, so where the father in the first section that we looked at is addressing his son specifically, wisdom's audience here is a little bit broader. Like she's calling out to people who fall into these three categories. And all three of these are going to come up a lot in the book of Proverbs. So the, the simple here, we talked about them last week, if you remember. That word, it means open. Like they're uncommitted. Um, if you have wisdom on one side, folly on the other, calling them to follow, they could, they could go either way. But, but even more than that, um, that word could also be translated as gullible or naive. Some of your translations might have that instead. They're easily influenced. They're easily enticed. They're easily led astray. So they're open, like they could go either way, but they're easily influenced and enticed the wrong way. That's the simple person that wisdom is addressing here. Scoffers, um, they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Where, where the simple are open and could be influenced either way, the scoffers are hardened in their ways. And the problem is their ways aren't good. Um, they're, they're arrogant. They're scornful. They're characterized by contempt for ideas that are different than theirs or for anyone who would disagree with them or try to correct them. Like when they or their ideas get challenged, they don't listen. Instead, they, they mock, they scoff, they make fun of anybody who would dif differ with them or disagree with them. The third group then are, are called fools here. And in the book of Proverbs, this is kind of the generic term for fools. Um, it's kind of the umbrella term that all these other ones fall under in a sense. So simple and scoffers would fall under this category of fools. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to come up with a, a nice way to explain what this word means. Um, like they're, they're just, they're ignorant. Um, they're not smart. Um, they think that something is wise when it's completely foolish. They're, they're completely backwards and completely wrong. But they're confident. Um, they're not smart, but they, they're confident. In fact, they're, they're overconfident. Like that's their problem. They're so sure that they have everything figured out that they, they, don't, they won't listen. You cannot convince them that they're wrong. Um, they're smug. They're self-confident. They have no desire to learn anything because they're convinced they already know everything. So that's who wisdom is addressing here. The, the simple, the scoffers, and the fools. But look what the problem is. It's not just that they are these things. It's not just that they are simple and scoffer and fools. It, it's that they love these things, right? Like, it's not just that they're simple, it's that they love being simple. It's not just that they're scoffers, it's that they delight in their scoffing. They're proud of it, like it brings them joy. It's not just that they're fools, it's that they hate knowledge. They have no desire to learn, no desire to change. Like, this isn't just a matter of ignorance here. It, it's a heart issue. It, it's a matter of misplaced worship. Like, each of them are driven by self-worship. They love themselves, which leads them to love what reflects themselves. 
And so the the point of this is that self-worship will either lead you to refuse to commit to anything on the one side, or it it will lead you to refuse to listen to anyone on the other side. Either you won't hold on to what you should, or you'll hold on too tightly to what you shouldn't. And the point is both extremes are foolish. Like you, you have to choose a path. It's not wise to want to keep all your options perpetually open. And you have to be teachable. It's not wise to be unteachable. Oh, and both of these extremes are, man, they're just, they're rampant in our culture. But even more than that, they're lurking in our own hearts. And so as much as we need to be on the alert and guard against the voice of folly from outside ourselves, like we saw in the last section, we need to be just as concerned with the voice of folly that's in us. And so, oh, but see the kindness and the mercy of God in this picture of wisdom running everywhere, going to the places where people are going about their normal daily life and crying out for them to listen. Like the people who need her message are not going to go to her. They love their folly too much. They're not looking for her. And so she goes to them. And look at what her message is here. First, she says, you see this on your handout. If you repent, you will receive the blessing of wisdom. If you repent, you will see, you will receive the blessings of wisdom. You can see that at the beginning and at the end of her speech here. Um, the, the first verse and the last verse kind of bookends here. So look first at verse 23. It says, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So the word turn there is, is really important word. Um, in this context, its first sense is just to listen. And so verse 33, which we'll look at in just a second, it's parallel to this, and that's the word that's used there. So it's if, if you turn here, and there it's whoever listens, like those two are parallel. And so it, it's a picture then of it, like someone behind you calls your name. Like what's your first reaction? It, it, it's to turn around, right? To, to look, to, to turn your head, to turn your attention. So that's the, that's the picture of turning here. But it's not enough to just turn your attention for a moment and then go right back to what you're doing. Like that's not what wisdom wants from the people that she's calling to here. She, she wants them to give her their attention, but then she wants them to turn in the sense of responding to her call as well. Like she wants them, to, wants them to give her their obedience. So in that sense, one commentator says this word here, he says its original physical notion gives way metaphorically to the spiritual turning of the heart, away from evil to good, from folly to wisdom, so that it becomes the most important term for repentance in the Bible. Like that's what she's calling for here. She's calling for them to repent. And look what she says will happen if they turn in this way. Like if they give her their attention and obedience, she says first that she'll pour out her spirit to them. Oh, this, this ties into something that John mentioned last week as well. Like wisdom is closely connected with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. There, there's a couple of key passages um, that illustrate this really well. One is when Moses uh, was given the plans for the tabernacle, and this, this guy Bezalel was appointed to be the, one of the men to build it. Um, in Exodus chapter 31, it says that, God, that he was filled with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence to, to do the work um, that he was called to do. And so I, I don't know why in that context they, tra- they translated that word ability. It's the exact same word 
as the word wisdom here in Proverbs. Like, so he was given the spirit of God so that he would have wisdom or skill to do the work of building the tabernacle. So the Holy Spirit was poured out on Bezalel, and as a result, he had wisdom and skill to do the work that God appointed for him to do. And then the same thing comes up in Isaiah chapter 11, um, when it's talking about this prophecy about Jesus. Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth, come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And then it goes on to talk about all the things that he's going to do. He's going he's gonna, to, um, with, with righteousness, judge the poor. Uh, righteousness, or yeah, judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. So all this is saying that because the spirit of wisdom was on Jesus, he would fear the Lord and he would live a life of righteousness and do these things that um, were appointed to, for him to do as the Messiah. And so going back to Proverbs one twenty three, wisdom is saying that if we turn, that if we repent, she'll pour out her spirit on us, like that spirit, the spirit that causes us to fear the Lord and live a life of righteousness and have the skill to do the work that God calls us to do in this world. Not only that, she says that she'll make her words known to those who turn as well. So just like Jesus is called the word because he reveals God in a way that we can know him, wisdom will reveal herself in a way that she can be known to us if we turn. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. Like the, the other book end at the end of her speech, verse 33, here's, here's even more blessing that she'll pour out. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So this will make a little more sense once we read the verses in between because the consequences of the other option of, of not listening to wisdom are disaster. And so if, if you turn and listen to wisdom and follow her path, instead of disaster, you'll dwell secure and be at ease with no dread of disaster. So that's the first part of her message. Like if you repent, you'll receive all of those blessings. On the other hand, you can see this next, if you refuse, you'll suffer the consequences. So where we got one verse at the beginning and the end of her speech about the blessings that come to those who turn and listen, here we get two sections of four verses each about the consequences of refusing to listen. So look first, verses 24 through 27 there. It says, because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. And then look down at verse 29, same thing. It's, it's like parallel to what we just read. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. So there's, there's a whole lot we could get into here. But let me just focus on two takeaways, two things here. First, like if you don't listen to wisdom, you have no one to blame but yourself. Like, like she repeats it over and over again at the beginning of both of these sections. Like she tried 
she called out to them. She held out her hand to them, which is probably not an invitation. Like, it's probably stretching out her arm and warning. Like, she's shaking her fist at them. So, so she tried both. She tried calling to them. She tried warning to them. But both ways, they refused to listen. In both sections, the second verse, verse 25, verse 30, the second verse of each section, they're almost identical. It's basically the same words, just kind of mixed around a little bit. So verse 25, it says, they ignored her counsel, would have none of her reproof, in verse 30, they would have none of her counsel, despised her reproof. So counsel there means plan. Like she shared her plan with them. She shared how they could live rightly and well in God's world, under God's authority, if they would just turn and listen to her and they ignored it. They would have nothing to do with it. Reproof here, it, it's a rebuke. It's a correction. Like she, she tried to correct them, but they wouldn't have any of that either. In fact, the second time it says they despised her reproof. They didn't just ignore it. They, they treated it as if it was worthless. So the fault here is not with wisdom. From the beginning of this section, she's running everywhere. She's yelling at the top of her lungs. She's trying to get anyone to listen. Nobody's looking for her. She goes to where they are and calls for their attention. But because they love their foolishness, they refuse to listen. And so what's going to come, what's going to happen to them is their own fault which is the other point that these two sections make. Not only is it your own fault if you refuse to listen, second, you deserve what's coming to you. That's what the descriptions of the consequences are intended to highlight here. Like wisdom's not threatening that if they don't listen, then she'll do these things to them. She's warning that if they don't listen, these things are the inevitable consequences of the path that they're on. It, 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 verse 26 and 27, you see when repeated three times. Like this isn't an if it's a win. Like, it's only a matter of time until these consequences happen if they won't turn and listen to wisdom. And, and the consequences here are just devastating. Like you see them described there in verses 26 and 27. It's, it's really poetic language here. You get kind of this reverse repetition where you get calamity and terror, terror and calamity. And then the words for storm, whirlwind, distress, and anguish, they all rhyme in the Hebrew. And so it's just this this really poetic picture, but they all go together to form this picture of, of this sudden storm that just sweeps in and wipes out and flattens and destroys everything in its path. And then on top of that, like to literally add insult to injury, you got wisdom watching all this happening and returning the mocking and the rejection that they had responded to her with. Like she laughs at them and mocks them for getting what they deserve. And verse 31 explains what's going on here. It really, really sums up everything we've seen in this passage so far. I mean, it's the principle of you reap what you sow, right? Like you will eat the fruit of the path that you choose. You will have your fill of your own devices. Like if you lie and wait to ambush and shed innocent blood, you'll end up getting caught in your own trap and it's your life that will be taken. If you mock and reject wisdom, she'll mock you when you suffer the consequences of your choices. And verse 32 here sums it all up. The simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. It's, all, it's what we've already said a couple of times. The foolish path leads to death. Like if you won't turn around and get off that path and follow the path of wisdom, the ultimate end of the foolish path is death. The simple wouldn't choose that path. The fools were too lazy and self-confident to listen and learn, and it ultimately cost them everything. 
That's the second part of wisdom's call here. If you repent, you'll receive the blessings of wisdom. If you refuse, you'll suffer the consequences. There's one more real fast here that we skipped over, one more verse in the middle of all this. And it adds just one more layer of seriousness and urgency to wisdom's call here. You can see that next on your handout. There's a point where it's too late to respond to wisdom's call. Verse 28 here says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. So this is at the very center point of wisdom's call. The whole thing hinges around this. It's right in between these two sections describing the consequences that will inevitably come if you don't listen to wisdom. Verse 26 and 27, the consequences begin to come. The the storm begins to rage. The whirlwind begins to blow. And then the simple and scoffers and fools realize the horrible mistake that they made. Then they begin to call out to wisdom. But, but again, it's the perfect reversal. It's the exact opposite of what they did when she called to them. When, when she called to them, they didn't listen. When she stretched out her hand and warning to them, they didn't heed. And now it's too late. Once the consequences come, it's too late to call out for wisdom. They call, but she won't answer. They try to find her, but she's nowhere to be found. She'll do to them exactly what they did to her. So there's a couple of layers to this. One is just the reality that wisdom is hard-earned. Unless you're Solomon, wisdom is not usually something you just receive in a moment. It's learned over the long haul. It's gained as you walk the path of wisdom over a lifetime. So to think that you can ignore wisdom your whole life and then get it instantly when you need it is foolish. It doesn't work that way. Like if you wait until you need it, you won't have it. But even more than that, on a deeper level, the, the point is that there's a point where it will ultimately be too late to repent. It, it, it's like the parable of the wise and foolish virgin, virgins in Matthew 25. Like, do you remember, if you remember that, par- that parable, 10 virgins, um, five wise, five foolish. The wise ones brought oil for their lamps, the foolish ones didn't. And then while they're waiting for the bridegroom to show up, they, they fall asleep. And when the bridegroom arrives, the foolish virgins weren't ready and they're shut out of the wedding feast. And they, they try to call out to the bridegroom to let them in. But, but how did he respond? Do you remember? He says, I don't know you. It's too late for them to repent at that point. And Jesus, in, in Matthew 25 there, he sums up the parable by saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. So hear the urgency in wisdom's call here. Like she's warning and pleading with everyone who will listen to her. Here's what will happen to everyone who chooses the foolish path. Don't go that way. It ends in death. Turn and listen. Follow me down the path of wisdom before it's too late. Like you don't know when time will be up. So turn now, repent now. Those are the three voices that we hear at the beginning of Proverbs here. So who are you gonna listen to? If you're here this morning, you're being tempted and enticed by the voice of sin, then then this passage is warning you and pleading with you, don't listen to that voice. Don't go down that path. Yes, the offer is enticing, but that path ends in death. Turn now while you can. Now, if you're here this morning and you're uncommitted, you're open, maybe you even really value keeping an open mind and keeping all your options open, Listen to the voice of wisdom this morning. You you have to commit. Choose the path of wisdom. Don't wait until it's too late. 
If you're realizing just now even how self-confident you've been, how you've arrogantly mocked the call of wisdom in the past, like listen to her now. Eventually, it's going to be too late, but it's not yet. If you turn, she will pour out all her blessings on you. And here's the thing in all this. Like, the reality is all of us have chosen the foolish path. That, that's the first thing that this should, all this should remind us of. Like, whether that's where you still are now or whether God has saved you from that path, like, we've all listened to the voice of temptation and followed it down the foolish path. Every one of us has rejected the voice of wisdom. We, we all deserve the consequences that come with that choice. We all deserve calamity and terror and distress and anguish and death. Oh, but the good news is, if you're a Christian, Jesus has rescued you from the foolish path. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, if you repent, if you turn to him, he'll do that for you now. So just think about, and as we wrap up here this morning, just think about how everything that we've seen in this passage points us to Jesus. Jesus didn't listen to the voice of temptation. He didn't greedily lie and wait for the blood of someone else for his own gain. He selflessly laid down his own life for your gain. He took the storm of judgment that you deserved. He drank every last drop of the calamity and terror and distress and anguish that were coming for you. And now he's become the voice of wisdom, crying out for you to repent. He pursued you when you ignored and rejected him. If you'll turn and listen to him, he'll pour out his spirit to you. He'll make his words known to you. And your heart will be transformed to fear the Lord, to listen to wisdom and instruction, to walk in the path of wisdom, growing in the skill of living rightly in God's world, under God's authority. And ultimately, because of Jesus, you will dwell secure and will be at ease forever without dread of disaster. Oh, if you have never repented and trusted in Jesus and his work for you, I pray that you would hear his voice this morning, that you would turn to him. Oh, and and Christians here this morning, my prayer is that we would hear his voice in this as well as we begin this study of Proverbs together. Because I think we can struggle with this book as if somehow the gospel is incompatible with Proverbs or, or makes it irrelevant somehow. Oh, but the gospel doesn't make Proverbs irrelevant. It makes it possible. It's, it's because of the gospel that we can respond rightly to these voices here in Proverbs 1. We're set free from slavery to sin so that we don't have to listen to the voice of temptation anymore. Like we can say no. And we've died to the foolishness and self-worship that used to control our hearts so that we were hardened to the voice of wisdom. We've been given the spirit of wisdom so that we can hear and respond rightly to the words of wisdom and grow in the skill of living well in God's world, under God's authority, as we continue to study the book of Proverbs together. So that's my prayer for us this morning as we listen to these three voices Um, as we think about which of these voices that we'll listen to, is that we would listen to Jesus' voice ultimately, and that it would cause us to respond to these other voices the way that we ought to. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you so much for um, this passage. Um, Thank you for the warnings in it. Thank you for the plea within it. Lord, I pray that we would hear both of them Um, through this passage this morning, that we would be warned away from the foolish path. God, that we would see how enticing it can be 
but that we would see that its end is death, or that we would see the foolishness in our own hearts that causes us to turn away from wisdom and that causes us to instead be drawn by the voice of temptation. God, would you, for those in this room this morning that have never repented and put their trust in Jesus, would you bring them to that point even now? God, would they see that time is short? It's not gonna last forever. There's a day coming when, when it's too late. They won't be able to turn anymore. And Lord, would they hear, heed this warning this morning? And would they hear the plea to 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 follow wisdom, listen to wisdom, turn. God, for those of us that, that you have rescued from the path of foolishness, Lord, I pray that we would live like who we are, that we would listen to the voices that are consistent with who we are, that we would say no to the voice of temptation and sin, and that we would listen to the voice of wisdom and walk in the path of wisdom. Lord, cause us through the book of Proverbs to grow more and more in righteousness and in wisdom and in skill in living in your world under your authority um, because of what Jesus has done for us. He set us free. He's put to death the, the foolishness that was in us. Lord, we pray that we would no longer live that way anymore, but that we would live listening to his voice. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.